good to be with everyone again tonight. Uh, we have once again a lot to cover, so we're going to get right into God's Word this um, Sabbath evening, Guam time, um, and we're going to be discussing from the topic, Marking the Mind. Our scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, which reads, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, that, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Our message again um, this Sabbath is entitled Marking the Mind. Marking the Mind is part of our series, The Mind of Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word once again. I pray, Lord, once again that you make me just a nail upon the wall, Lord, a rusty, sorry nail. But Lord, as we cover these difficult topics tonight, I pray that you would hang a portrait of Jesus Christ upon that nail. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, we're going to get right into this. Uh, Mark 5, verses 1 through 3 says, They came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. So Jesus and his disciples had come across uh, the lake, uh, across the sea, and um, pulled into a part of the countryside that was uh, pretty much um, inhabited by uh, non-Jews, um, some would say heathen. And so uh, Jesus may have simply been looking for a respite. He, the night before was the night where they were on the storm and Jesus stood up and said, peace be still. Um, it, the day before was the day when the 5,000 had been fed and they wanted to force Jesus uh, to become king. Uh, so it had been a trying time. Emotions were high. Uh, the disciples had been disappointed in the fact that Jesus would not take over the kingship of, of, of Israel and restore Israel back to its former glory under kings like David and Solomon. And remember, they had tried to force him. And so um, instead, they wound up um, in a storm uh, with all kinds of problems. But anyway, so uh, verse two, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. So they tried to bind this man. They tried to control him, but they were never able to. Verse four, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broke and broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, day and night, I should say night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, 
crying and cutting himself with stones. So here is a man in a very terrible situation. The scripture says that he had, he, they had bound him. They tried to control him. No man could tame him. It was like he was an animal. But he would, when, even when he had his freedom, he would be in the mountains cutting himself, crying um, with, with kind of self-mutilation uh, type behavior. Verse 6 says, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. This all by itself was enough to probably blow some folks' mind. The disciples of the Spirit of Prophecy tells us when this man started coming towards them, the, the disciples took off running. And when they had gotten a good distance away, they looked to see where Jesus was and realized he was still standing back where the man was. In fact, he raised his hand, and the same hands he raised to calm the sea, he raised to calm this man. And the man fell and began to worship him. But the man wasn't able to speak. The demons in him were. Verse 7 says, and he cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee? Jesus, thou son of the most high God, I adjure thee, adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. As Jesus says this, come out of him, he asks him, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. This man had been left to terrorize the countryside. Everyone was afraid of him. They could not control or contain him. But when he saw Jesus, he, he, he recognized who he was. The demons even recognized who he was. And, they, and he fell on his knees. Now, the disciples are watching all of this, and Jesus is trying to teach them some lessons. The first lesson is, as much as they wanted him to be king of Israel, he was the king of the world. So here he was reaching out in a, in a, in a part of the, of, of the territory that was not um, occupied by people who believed that the disciples did. He had, he's gone outside of the comfort zone. Secondly, he's dealing with someone who is in a terrible state, yet Christ remains calm. He is without fear. The mind of Christ, which is our week's theme, is one that does not panic when someone else is in a situation of need and help. Instead, he begins to help. He tells the spirit to come out. The spirit says, my name is Legion. The man had been taken by many demons. Mark 5 and verse 10 says, and, and, and he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. And some, some scholars would say, well, he didn't want to leave the area where the heathens were. But I, I think this was um, may have just as well been that the demons just wanted to stay where they were. And verse 11 says, now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, which is kind of proof that they, these weren't um, uh, Jews. Uh, they, were, they, they, they kept swine. And all the devils besought him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And he, these, the swine are taken and sent um, uh, into the, uh, and, uh, the demons are sent into the swine. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirit went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place unto the sea. Uh, they were about 2,000 pigs, and they were choked. They drowned in the sea. They that fed the, the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. 
And if you can imagine what the reaction of the people when um, this man, all of those demons were pouring into the pigs, the pigs probably made them lots of money. Um, 2,000 of them rushing to the sea and the people come to see what was done. Here's the powerful part. Mark 5 and verse 15 says this. They came to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. The Bible tells me that when they saw this man in this condition, they were afraid. No one ever believed that this man would recover from what was going on in his life. Yet when he met Jesus, he worshiped Jesus. Jesus removed the demons and put him in the right mind. We're going to talk tonight about some of these things that are still trying to to take the minds of, of, of people in this world till today. Here's Desire of Ages, page 341 says, the encounter with the demoniacs of Gergesa had a lesion, had a lesson for his, the disciples. It showed the depths of degradation to which Satan is seeking to drag the whole human race. And the mission of Christ uh, to set men free from his power. Those wretched beings dwelling in the place of graves, possessed by demons in bondage to uncontrolled passions and loathsome lusts represent what humanity would become if given up to satanic jurisdiction. In other words, this is what Satan, what you see in this story is what Satan wants for all of mankind. He wants the image of God completely annihilated for man to be brought to very low depths for us to basically be um, like animals. Satan wants us to have none of the divine spark, none of the image of God left in us. He would do that to all of humanity. Alma goes on to say, Satan's influence is constantly exerted upon men to distract the senses, control the mind for evil, to incite to violence and crime. He weakens the body, darkens the intellect and debases the soul. Whenever men reject the Savior's invitation, they are yielding themselves to Satan. Through his specious specious temptations, Satan leads men to worse and worse evils till till utter depravity and ruin are the result. The only safeguard against his power is found in the presence of Jesus. The only safeguard against his power is found in the presence of Jesus. Here's where many Christians fail. Just as Adam and Eve um, uh, drifted away after they had sinned to try and hide from God, there was no safety there. So God went and looked for them. Even in this day, if you are going to have safety, it is not in trying to secretly do things away from Christ. It is actually to come into the presence of Christ. Sin, sin thrives in secret, as we're going to talk about tonight. Sin thrives in secret. And so if you're going to be um, a Christian, you must remain in the presence of Christ. She says his spirit will develop in man. This is Christ's spirit will develop in man all that will ennoble the character and dignify the nature. It will build man up for the glory of God in body and soul and spirit. He has called us to to the obtaining of the glory, the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
has called us to be conformed to the image of his son. We'll talk more about this um, in the morning message tomorrow, but understand that what God is calling us to is a character like his. Remember what we talked about earlier in the week, the frontal lobe, the place where reasoning, Isaiah 118, come let us reason together. This is where the seal of the living God goes. This is where God, in the book of Revelation, the Bible says God writes his name on the foreheads of, of, um, of those in the book of Revelation that are found worthy writes his name there. The name represents character. The seal of God is a seal of redemption, we are told, um, placed there uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What you've got to get is that God wants you to have the character of Christ. If that is the case, Satan is trying to have you have the opposite. And the way that Satan wants to destroy your ability to have the character of Christ is to literally destroy your mind, to affect the frontal lobe, make it not a place where the Holy Spirit can dwell or where you are able to reason and choose the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you intoxicated. He wants you mixed up. He wants you thinking of things that are of no real relevance because what Satan is after is the, is the ability to shrink the mind per se and remove you from the ability to accept Christ as your savior. So he wants to chain you up. So how are men's minds chained today? How are men's minds chained today? This is really what we're going to discuss. The, 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 the gatherings were, were, were in chains. They were cutting themselves. They were, they were, they were in all kinds of trouble. Uh, Jesus was able to liberate them. Satan seeks to chain us today, and he does not have to use the same um, debased and outward way that was used against um, the man that Jesus just healed in that story. He has other ways. 2 Timothy 3 says this. This is verse 1 through 5. It says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Here, church, is really where the rubber meets the road. The last days are going to be difficult, uh, Paul is telling Timothy. And why is it going to be difficult? One, men will be lovers of their own selves. Something we're going to talk about tonight. Um, I think it's interesting that being disobedient to your parents is a sign of the perilous times of the end. Um, they'll be without natural affection. Um, but one of the ones that really sticks out is where it says they'll be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. The way that the brain works is that there is a reward pathway um, with uh, dopamine being the key neurotransmitter for it. Um, so it can be hijacked. We'll talk about that a little later on. Satan can literally hijack this, this pathway to give intense amounts of pleasure. And what happens is, as a man's mind is manipulated around this pleasure, with everything from drugs to food to sex to all kinds of things, as it is manipulated with this pleasure, People will begin to choose the immediate gratification of that pleasure over God. So they will, but they will try to, many will try to retain their form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. What is the real power of being of godliness? It is a transformation of character. 
So as we jump into this, you, one of the quotes you, you'll hear me say a lot is this one, God made the human heart so big only he can fill it. I learned this dealing um, with uh, veterans at the VA hospital in Loma Linda, California. Um, and these veterans, um, these veterans uh, were in on the addiction treatment unit. And it was fascinating because they would do their group sessions um, and, and their supportive things that they did, but especially in the group sessions. This was one of the things that they chanted one day while I was in while I was in group with them as a resident physician. And they said, God made the human heart so big that he can fill it. And I asked one of the guys that was kind of leading out afterward, what does that mean? He said, if you try to fill the God-sized hole in your heart with anything but God, if you try to fill the God-sized hole in your heart with anything but God, you'll become addicted to that thing. And this is one of the major ways that Satan works to control the minds of men. Chemical addiction and other types of addiction. But we'll talk a lot about chemical addiction tonight. It is huge. And even when I worked in Guam, um, one of the things that was often um, expressed by patients we saw in the clinic was um, many of them talked of the use of, of bear, um, even a few talked of the use of marijuana. Um, uh, so when you work in healthcare, uh, wherever you work in healthcare, especially here in the United States, anywhere in the United States, um, this is a part of what you have to address. It is these addictive substances like alcohol. Alcohol is incredibly, incredibly addictive. And um, more importantly, almost, it is ubiquitous. I don't talk about the advertising, but even before we get into alcohol um, and its effects on the mind, uh, you, one of the things that is important to realize is there's a strong agenda to get you to drink alcohol. There's somebody who, who make, you know, there are people who make incredible profits off of alcohol. Um, and so when you look at this, um, um, the way that, you know, the, the amount of um, money that alcohol generates. So the Super Bowl will be this weekend and they're going to have huge expenses. Traditionally, I don't know what they're doing this year, but traditionally they spent a lot of money. I mean, millions of dollars per 15 or 30 seconds uh, to just promote products. And alcohol is at the top of the list. In fact, when you watch sports, alcohol is pretty highly um, advertised. And you have to remember, they do the research. No one would advertise these products if the advertising didn't work. They wouldn't spend that money if, this, if there was not studies to prove that spending that money is going to make them more money in the long run. So alcohol is one of the big threats in these last times. And I wish I could tell you, church, that, that, that being in a Seventh-day Adventist church, you would never have people with this issue or that still used. But I've learned in my travels and here in the United States, especially, there are, there are many uh, people who um, hide in secret, as we said earlier, and drink alcohol. There are wine connoisseurs that I've met at some of our churches and institutions. Um, so Proverbs 23, addressing alcohol, says this, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in a cup, when it moves itself aright. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. This is describing fermentation. So people say, well, the Bible says to drink a little wine for the stomach's sake and these things. What, what, what the Bible is also clear of, and this is why I do not believe Jesus turned the water into alcoholic wine, because the Bible says right here that when do not even look at the wine when it's red, when it gives itself its color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. This is describing when it's fermented. Why? Because once it's fermented, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. In fact, Solomon goes on to say this. He says, thine eyes shall behold strange women. 
and then hard shell, other perverse things. In other words, your judgment will change and you will, you know, be romantically, physically involved with people you otherwise would be. I always say this this joke. I probably won't get it, but you know, um, you you uh, you. I, I warn young ladies. You know, the reason guys want to buy you a drink, the the guy probably looks like a flavor flave, but you have a couple of drinks. He thinks you're gonna he's gonna start looking like Denzel Washington. So you've got to be careful. Um, drinking with with alcohol in fact this is why i believe it's better for the christian to just abstain because the bible says it here verse 34 yea thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast so you're gonna be in in different dangerous situations verse 35 they have stricken me meaning they have beaten me shalt thou say and i was not sick and i was not sick they have beaten me and i felt it not when shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. In other words, I'm going to get sick from it. I'm going to people gonna, I'm gonna get into fights and don't remember them. All kinds of crazy stuff is going to happen. But once I come out of being drunk, the first thing I'm going to want is a drink. The Bible here describes not just fermented alcohol. In the first few verses of this passage, it describes alcoholism and addiction. And this is what the Bible is warning against. And of course, people tell you that um, alcohol is good for you. Um, that's the cry uh, in a lot of the health literature. But again, there's an industry that has millions of dollars that wants to promote that these things are good for you. Um, and wine is what they use predominantly. But we know that um, these things cause uh, kidney failure, chronic heart failure, damage to the brain, uh, cirrhosis of the liver. In fact, during the pandemic lockdown here in America, what they're saying is that there's a second pandemic that no one's talking about. And there are about three or four pandemics going on at the same time, uh, some of which we'll talk about tonight. But one of them is alcoholic liver disease. A lot of people, you know, I was remember when our gym was still open, uh, reopened after a few, after several months of lockdown. And we were, I was in one of the classes in the gym and um, I was I was giving this information to the class, uh, the spin class. And, you know, and one lady was like, yep, yeah, that's me. You know, I basically have been locked in, locked in my house for several months drinking alcohol, just there drinking by myself. Um, and so alcohol is not the, the the panacea they want to make it out to be wine is not the panacea they want to make it out to be the truth of the matter is the alcohol part of it is not good for you what is good in a, in a in a in a nation like america and in much of the west where the food that is eaten is so nutrient poor if you just add a little bit of it's one of the reasons you might see a benefit is you drink a little wine there's actually some antioxidants like the compound resveratrol which is good for you but you don't need the alcohol for that you could actually get the resveratrol from eating the whole grape um you could definitely get it from grape juice but you need the whole grape and get the fiber and all kinds of other stuff as god intended it to to believe that alcohol um is necessary for health doesn't go along with what we just read in proverbs in fact what we know is that and this is by year. When you look at it by by gender, men are way outpace women in the increasing number of deaths per hundred thousand in the U.S. population around alcohol. But um, women are also on the rise. And here you can see by age group, uh, basically every age group, um, you can see that deaths from alcohol are on the rise. Obviously, from twenty five to forty four years old um, is the time when you, if people are drinking heavily, they're developing the diseases that they will die of 
um, you know, between uh, 45 and 64, where you see a massive, in, massive increase in deaths per 100,000 from alcohol. There's so much I could talk about with the deaths from alcohol, but um, there's no real surprise. It, it kills thousands of people every year. It's a pandemic in and of itself, yet it is allowed to go on. So here a study finds alcohol, alcohol dampens brain waves associated with decision-making, but not motor control. Um, and so we know that one of the things that happens is you, you, you lose control. You become inhibited. You can become disinhibited. Um, and this is through the functions of GABA and glutamate, but it also decreases the theta waves in the brain. So you can't make decisions well in the, in the moment that you're drunk. But I would argue that after a while, the, 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 the constant consumption of alcohol begins to change the very way the brain works. And after a while, it's like people, and I know people like this, that they're almost like they're always drunk, even when they're not drinking because of the, the changes that have been made to the brain. Remember what, what was said, it is the frontal lobe. It is the decision-making centers of the brain that are essential. The Bible reinforces this. Remember um, when you put on the, the whole armor of God, it's the helmet of salvation. The mind is to be protected. Um, uh, when we, Going back to the, to, the, to the seal of God, it's in the forehead. God's name is written in your forehead. Um, Isaiah 118, come let us reason together, says the Lord. This is what the Bible says over and over and over again. Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. If God is telling you to be sober, the devil is going to tell you to be drunk, to be intoxicated. That is what it's going to do. So marijuana is more dangerous than you think. Um, we're going to jump to marijuana now. And when you jump to marijuana, uh, the, Wall, the Wall Street Journal um, gets, gets you here. And what you find is um, that marijuana is very dangerous, far more than people let on or want you to know. It has been legalized. So that over, it's legal for over 200 million Americans now, I think. State after state after state, California, Michigan, and others have all legalized marijuana. Um, and as legalization spreads, more Americans are becoming heavy users of cannabis, despite links to violence and mental illness. And this is what they're not telling you. They're not telling us about the reality that marijuana actually causes mental illness, increases violence. And this is the Wall Street Journal. This isn't just anybody saying this. Um, and so it's really important that we teach young people, especially about this danger. This is a, a huge, 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 huge danger. And it is something that must be taken into consideration. The devil wants to control the minds of people. And so in his desire to control the minds, I believe marijuana's legalization and proliferation has come. And there's more on marijuana. If you look at it here, um, uh, uh, marijuana as an addiction, uh, chronic marijuana use and higher dosages are found to correlate to greater incidence um, of psychosis and schizophrenia. Um, and so they're not telling you this. In fact, marijuana-induced psychosis is real. The science proves it. People must know the risks. No one is talking about this, but every rap song and uh, most and many movies, uh, they're, they're, you know, people are hip and cool, they're smoking weed, but they're not telling you that there is some risk involved with it. Uh, this uh, marijuana is an addiction. This point is particularly significant due to the increasing increases in drug potency over the last two decades. While the average potency has risen from 3% THC or lower, uh, which is tetrahydrocannabinoid, the intoxicating ingredient in marijuana, 
a couple of decades ago to 9% now, there are some samples of weed that measure as high as 25%. So tetrahydrocannabinoid levels are going higher and higher and higher because they're able to farm and genetically modify and, you know, and, and grow it. I don't know how they do it, but they are making it more potent. Um, and the problem with that is that means it increases the paranoia, which is one of the reasons the violence increases with marijuana. People become more paranoid. And in one study, they said that, you know, the majority of those that committed these violent crimes felt that the victim of the crime, that this person, you know, the person that was victimized, the person that perpetuated the violence to, to smoke marijuana, felt as if that person posed a threat. They were paranoid. So now in the in the marijuana shops in America, they have um, strains of marijuana that you can use that are less likely to cause paranoia. There are new diseases that have come up because of the use of marijuana. We have things like um, cannabis-induced hyperemesis syndrome, where people start to throw up and they can't stop. Um, so it, it's changing things. And one of the big things that marijuana does, of course, um, is uh, we, we've been talking about for a long time, is, is it causes a, an amotivational syndrome. And the reason for this is um, it works backwards. So uh, most things, you know, most of the drugs actually work on the presynaptic part of the neuron, releases lots of dopamine. And this, this, this one is showing um, cannabinoids, but it, it would be dopamine is the one we're really talking about. And it would, it would, so it would release dopamine, you get more dopamine over here. There's down regulation of the receptors after a while. So you need more and more. So you take more and more cocaine. You develop tolerance to things like cocaine and nicotine. Well, marijuana works on the back end. It works on the postsynaptic um, receptors. So when it when it has its effect, it literally changes your ability based on what it does to dopaminergic receptors to actually feel pleasure. And this change is why a lot of times when kids start to smoke weed, you notice their grades drop off. Not every kid, but you start to see these changes. This is part of what is happening. Um, it reduces... Um, motivation, but also it affects GABA as well and glutamate, different in alcohol, but similar effect. Um, it disinhibits from a different way, changes the way you think, and most importantly, um, ch it changes the way you make decisions, changes the way you think after a while. But not just alcohol and marijuana. Of course, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, and anything having to do with the mind and the brain, the opioid epidemic in the United States. And you can see 130 plus people die every day from opioid addiction. If, you, if alcoholic liver disease is one of the other uh, pandemics, the suicide increases since the, since the coronavirus and as well as the opioid overdoses are the other two pandemics. This one is very serious. We're seeing tons of um, overdoses. I won't go through all of the numbers. They're all there. Um, and this is dangerous. And this is interesting because it all started when JACO, the Joint Commission um, who does hospital accreditation, um, um, seems now to have possibly teamed up with the drug companies and made pain a fifth um, vital sign. And the hospitals and doctors could get in trouble if they weren't writing adequate pain medicines. So of course, somebody made a lot of money off of this as everyone started writing more Tylenol number threes and Vicodins and Norcos and then Percocets and Oxycodone and on and on and on, all of which would develop street um, value. Um, so there was motivation for patients, for some patients at least to want it. And of course, seven days of taking Vicodin as prescribed is enough to get people people addicted. So this was huge and it made 
obviously made tons of money, but it was also probably what started the furnace of the opioid um, crisis that we have to today. Now, what's interesting is when we pulled back and were told, okay, stop prescribing these medications, then people started to go to the streets to get them, um, which, in, which probably has only led to more overdoses with fentanyl coming in illegal into the country and um, heroin and other things. These are serious times, the mind being under attack. And you can see that the way that this works, I was talking about dopamine earlier. Um, this is, again, marijuana works opposite, but for the other drugs, you know, if this is food, food, when you eat good food, you get dopamine release. That's why food can be so hard to manage. It can change your mood and anything that changes your mood can be habit forming. Um, but what's interesting is when you take something like cocaine, look at all the dopamine. It is a high beyond what the natural way that God designed. So God designed this reward pathway so that man would do those things that needed to be done in order for the species to survive. Satan found a way, we'll, talk, we'll look at a quote from Ellen White in a second, found a way to hijack this system. And by doing that, he can control mind, men's mind. He does not have to have them bound and in fetters. He doesn't have to have them cutting themselves in the woods, although many will. He can have very people look very polished, very sophisticated, like my father, who was a functional alcoholic, quote unquote, um, but made horrible decisions, um, at least in part, probably because of his alcohol drinking. Ellen White says it like this. She says, man is contending with foes who are stronger than he. She says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against wicked spirits in high places. And I find it interesting that the word alcohol actually comes from the Arabic, al-ghul, which is um, a demon or a spirit. And to this day, um, uh, and these spirits were supposed to like eat, eat the person up. Um, and to this day, um, when you go to an a liquor store, they say spirits sold here. Because alcohol, marijuana, these things, when you become intoxicated, you lower your inhibitions, you lower your guard on the frontal lobe of your brain, and you allow yourself to be far more susceptible to supernatural influence, especially and obviously by the enemy, because you, 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 it's difficult, more difficult for you to, to say no. So Isaiah says it like this. He says, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good. And this applies, of course, to food, but also, of course, to drugs. Why would somebody want to get into a habit where you're going to spend tons of money and as soon as you come off of the high, you're going to want to get more of one? Until finally, you know, the, the drug can literally take over everything. And I'm, I've seen this with crystal methamphetamines in California, uh, cocaine uh, when I was working in medical school in Miami. And of course, pretty much everywhere now, uh, the rise of marijuana as it is being legalized all across the United States of America. And interestingly, they started by making it medically, you know, they, they, they touted its medical benefits. But it's the same thing they did with cigarettes many years ago. Cigarettes, they, you know, hey, three out of four doctors recommend camels for your anxiety. Three out of four doctors represent, represent, uh, recommend Marlboro if you have a cough, crazy as that is. The billboards exist. Um, you can look them up. So now to use that same line, oh, it's medicinal. And I've gotten people um, heavily into this, and it's going to have its consequences on America. Here's what Ellen White says about all of these things. She says, Satan gathered the fallen angels together to devise some way of doing the most 
the most possible evil to the human family. One proposition after another was made till finally Satan himself thought of a plan. He would take the fruit of the vine, also wheat and other things given by God as food and would convert them into poisons which would ruin man's physical, mental, and moral powers, and so overcome the senses that Satan should have full control. Under the influence of liquor, men would be led to commit crimes of all kinds. Uh, through perverted appetite, the world would be made corrupt. By leading men to drink alcohol, Satan would cause them to descend lower and lower in the scale. Councils on to Churches, uh, page 101. Satan is taking the world captive through the use of liquor and tobacco, tea and coffee. Notice she includes caffeine. We don't have time to get into it, but we talk about the mind of Christ. Caffeine and teas are stimulants. And yes, again, teas will have their antioxidants, but the effect of caffeine just on sleep alone, uh, increased risk of acid reflux and things like that, but the, infect of, the impact on sleep and not what we know of the importance of sleep tells us that one of the major reasons caffeine is probably not good for us or is not good for us. The God-given mind, which should be kept clear, is perverted by the use of narcotics. The brain is no longer able to distinguish correctly. The enemy has control. Man has sold his reason for that which makes him mad. He has no sense of what is right. Ellen White says, I'm sorry, Romans, Paul says this, Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is the enmity, it, it, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you allow your flesh, and I said it um, in the message earlier this week, your body will conspire to kill you. You get on cigarettes and you get addicted to nicotine and you know how bad cigarettes are for you. And 10 years later, 15 years later, you haven't quit. 20 years later, you're still smoking a pack of cigarettes. 25 years later, still smoking. You know it's wrong, but your body craves it you can't come off of it you, you go through withdrawals your body will conspire to kill you it, and, it, and it's not in a in a sense of in an intention it is the way the body will react and the enemy knows this so he wants to place in front of us all those things will cause us to be lost and of course one of them um is not a drug and i wanted to throw this in there especially for for the young people because this um the the the, the the scourge of pornography has basically taken um, many young men by storm and even young women um, and really gotten into their minds and had a, and gotten a strong foothold. And it can be one of those things that is difficult. And because of the, the advent of the cell phone and the tablet, children, you know, you know, you go back 50 years ago in order to see pornography, uh, a, a, you know, a young man would have to go sneak into his father's closets and find his magazines or his friends would have, my, it, it just wasn't ubiquitous like this. I mean, you know, obviously it, it wasn't hard to get, but now it is super easy to get right on the phones and on a device that if a young person knows how to use it well, he can hide his tracks, he can erase things, he can, all of that. So all of this content can be downloaded, but what does this do to you? Watching pornography rewires the brain to a more juvenile state. Um, 
this is a, a powerful uh, one. It, look at the summary. It says a powerful um, journal article summary. It says from eroding the prefrontal cortex, an area of the brain critical for impulse control to damaging the dopamine reward system. Researchers evaluate the impact of viewing pornography on the brain. This is secular. This is from just December of ninth, uh, December of 2019. This is a, this is secular. This is not, it's not Christians talking. And they're saying that, listen, when you watch pornography, as many young people are exposed to this stuff, when you watch pornography, it erodes the prefrontal cortex. That is the part of the brain that I've said um, earlier in the week is like the most holy place. If your body's a temple, the prefrontal cortex is like the most holy place. It is where the Shekinah glory of God is to fall. When you get into alcohol, marijuana, drugs, and now even pornography, this is the part of the brain that's attacked. That's what Paul says, wear the helmet of salvation. You've got to protect your mind. But you also lose impulse control. What else does it do? Well, dangers of pornography, porn may literally shrink the brain. A 2014 study in the journal JAMA, psychiatry found men who regularly consumed pornography had smaller brain volume and fewer connections in the striatum, a brain region tied to reward processing compared with those who didn't view it. So you can see here that there is a major um, change in the brain and how the brain functions. You develop tolerance and you need more. And this is part of the dangers of it. Satan brings you down a primrose path and down into a very slippery slope where eventually what happens is at first you could just look at a few pictures that weren't that big a deal in your own mind. But eventually you need something more, more uh, stimulating, more startling, more um, exciting. And before long, what you're watching is so incredibly depraved because you develop tolerance, not just to cocaine and nicotine, you develop tolerance even to pornography, but it also teaches immediate gratification. Um, and there, there's a whole, uh, I don't have the slide on this, on this presentation, this whole movement of young men, not Christian young men, just young men who um, in their 30s now and 40s are speaking out against pornography. We know feminists often do, we know Christians often do, but there's a group of young men coming out now saying, listen, this stuff is dangerous. In fact, there are some who say they feel like prisoners in their marriages because pornography has so shaped their mind and their views around sexual intimacy that now they cannot have a proper relationship with their wives. And they blame pornography. And there's a movement to try and educate and inform young men of the dangers of pornography. Well, here's one thing. How does pornography affect the brain and the body? The hypothalamus also activates the testes to secrete testosterone. Um, so sexually explicit material, SEM, crafts a brain that is constantly generating testosterone and heightened sexual desire. And Struthers published that back in 2009. Instead of allowing boys to focus on school, sports, and music, um, sexually explicit uh, material causes a ramped up sex drive where their minds are inundated with sexual thoughts. Makes your mind, makes sex be all that's ever on your mind. Makes it difficult to focus and work on anything else. Um, so it zaps some of the mental powers. And this, again, not from a Christian source, but you know, if you really want to get some more information on this, let's talk about some famous people who have had to deal with this issue. One of them is Terry Crews. 
And he says this, um, he says, pornography changes the way you think about people. People become objects. People become body parts. They become things to be used rather than people to be loved. But pornography is an intimacy killer. It kills all intimacy. Every time I watched it, I was, I was walled off. It's like um, another brick that came between me and my wife. I didn't want to be this way. I didn't want to continue to do these things that hurt my wife, that hurt my family. And he says here, these were um, these are the, the article said these are the words of Terry Crews, a former NFL football player and current sitcom actor. He's also um, a host for one of those talent shows. Um, he is a Christian, a husband, and a father. In his autobiography, Manhood: How to Be a Better Man or Just to Live with One, he shares his battle with pornography addiction, the difficulty it created in his marriage, and how rehabilitation helped him to overcome. And so, here's a guy who's being very vulnerable and open to help others realize this is not the best idea. But he's a Christian, even non-Christian people like Russell Crowe have come out and made statements about the damage that um, pornography had on them and on their lives. He says here, um, I know that pornography is wrong. I shouldn't be looking at it. There's a general feeling, uh, is there? If you're in your core, if you look at pornography, that this isn't what's the best thing for me to do. I feel like if I had, a, had total dominion over myself, I would never look at pornography again. One day at a time, I would kick it out of my life. The whole cl uh, cloud of pornographic information and even soft cultural smog is making it impossible for us to relate to our own sexuality, our own psychology. And this is from the site, Fight the New Drug. They call pornography the new drug. And you, look, this is Russell Crowe. And he's saying, listen, if, 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 if I had dominion over myself, he's saying if I was in control, he's speaking like Paul did in Romans 7, where he says, the good that I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that I do. He, he's admitting that this is an addiction that he's out of that he can't even control it. Ellen White says, I am instructed to say that in the future, great watchfulness will be needed. There is to be among God's people no spiritual stupidity. Evil spirits are actively engaged in seeking to control the minds of human beings. Men are, are binding up in, men are binding up in bundles, ready to be consumed by the fires of the last days. Those who discard Christ and his righteousness will accept the sophistry that is flooding the world. Christians are to be sober and vigilant, steadfastly resisting their adversary, the devil, who's going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Men under the influence of evil spirits will work miracles. This goes into another part of the, of, of the, of the, of the talk there, but we're called to be sober. And you can't be sober if you're addicted to porn, if you're addicted to alcohol, if you're addicted to marijuana. You can't be sober. You can't make right decisions. Ellen White says it so well here. There is to be among God's people no spiritual stupidity. The Christian is to be wise, vigilant, and on our toes, watching and waiting for our Lord. So in the theme of what we started with, with, the, with, the, with the, the demoniac, with the legion of demons, I also want to remind you that when we become Christians, we have to be, keep our guard up, just as Ellen White was just saying, because the devil has a, a plan as well. Here it is, Luke 11, 21 says, when a strong man, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, uh, his goods are in peace. 
when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. He, he that is not with me, Jesus says, is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. A lot of us want to be the strong man. We want to defend ourselves. We think we can, but there's one that will come along that is stronger. And that is the enemy of our souls. That's why Jesus says, if you're not with me or against me, if you think you can defend yourself, if you think you have the power to defend yourself against all these things, you're fooled. And the devil will come and bind you. It says here, when uh, the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finds none. He saith, I will return unto my house once I came out. When he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth, then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Church, this is what's so important. It's not enough that we have been baptized. Not enough that we go to church. We have, that just means you've cleaned the house. If you are not diligent in protecting the mind, and more importantly, or as importantly, making sure that your mind is full on the Holy Spirit, that you are asking the person of the Holy Spirit into your mind, that who is who needs to guard your mind. It is the work of the Holy Ghost, the Shekinah glory of God should be falling on your frontal lobe, keeping you in that gamma wave state that we talked about, keeping you alert and ready, uh, able to see through the sophistries of this world. Because if you're not careful, the devil will come back after you've been quote unquote saved and he will actually bind you worse than before because now you're a hypocrite. Now you're hiding to do things, secret rendezvous and secret things on your phone. Ellen White says it like this. He says, subdue the carnal mind, reform the life and the poor mortal frame will not be so idolized. If the heart is reformed, it will be seen in the outward appearance. If Christ be in us, the hope of glory, we shall discover such matchless charms in him that the soul will be enamored. It will cleave to him, choose to love him, and in admiration of him, self-will be forgotten. Jesus will be magnified and adored and self-abased and humbled. At the center of all of these addictive practices is self, it's pride. Some of us rationalize our bad behavior by saying, like, I deserve this. Some of us rationalize it by saying, listen, I'm only human. Uh, whether you, you know, either way, if you say, look, I deserve it, or if I'm, or I'm only human, or I can't help it, what you've got to understand is self is always at the center. The secret to gaining victory over sin is not to look at your sin. It's not to sit and look at your addiction day after day after day. It is to turn, as the old hymn says, to turn your eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. If you have a problem with addiction or a problem with bad habits, the, one of the first things you've got to do is turn your eyes upon Jesus. You've got to begin to study him, study his word, get to know the living Jesus Christ. As a friend, like we talked about Abraham did, you've got to get to know him. As he comes into your life, these other things will be crowded out. He'll open the doors to break the chains. Many a Christian, they have an intellectual knowledge. I'm reading a book about a guy who went from Christianity to atheism and then supposedly back. I'm not at the end of the book yet. 
But he became an atheist because he kept focusing on himself, on his problems, focusing on his doubt. If you focus on Christ, the spirit of God will lead you. That's how you'll even gain victory over sin. Um, but, but a profession without this deep love is mere talk. Dry formality and heavy drudgery. Many of you may retain a notion of religion in the head and outside religion when the heart is not cleansed. God looks at the heart. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He will be satisfied with anything but truth in the inward part. Will he be satisfied with anything but truth in the inward parts? Every truly converted soul will carry the unmistakable marks that the carnal mind is subdued. Every truly converted soul will carry the unmistakable marks that the carnal mind is subdued. The message is entitled, Marking the Mind. Does your mind have the unmistakable marks that the carnal mind is subdued? People know this when they see you. Do they, do they automatically, can they tell that you have gained victory over sin and over self? Do you live differently? Or are we living a lie? Are we living hypocrisy? We are called by the God of heaven to live differently. To live like Christ and to have his character. Is your mind marked with the evidence that Jesus is in control of your life? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and to study uh, the dangers that are in this world. I pray, Lord, for that person out there who needs victory over anything we've discussed tonight and beyond. There's somebody who's struggling with pornography. Father God, tonight give them victory. There's somebody who's struggling with alcohol, marijuana, cigarettes, even caffeine. Lord, give them victory. But Lord, give them the victory by reminding them to look to you, to make Christ the center of their life, to make him their best friend. Lord, please touch our hearts that we might be ready when you come. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.